Engaging conversation on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Hello and welcome to Pro-Life Primetime News. Today is Friday, July 15th. I'm Teresa Watson. And I'm Leslie Palma. Today marks three weeks since the United States Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, ending legal abortion on the national level. The federal government has been busy since then trying to figure out ways to keep abortionists in business. Democrats in the House today pushed through two radical abortion bills despite the fact they have no chance of passing the Senate. H.R. 8296 is this year's version of the Women's Health Protection Act, better known to pro-lifers as the All Abortion All the Time Act. It would override every law that protects the unborn and their mothers on every level of government and would allow abortion through all nine months of pregnancy in every state. The House passed a similar bill last year, but the Senate has stopped it cold twice. H.R. 8297, the Ensuring Access to Abortion Act, also passed the House today. It attempts to nullify state laws that prevent women from crossing state lines to have abortions. Meanwhile, the Biden administration continues bowing to pressure from abortion extremists in the Democrat Party. The Justice Department this week announced the formation of a reproductive rights task force to monitor what's happening with abortion on the state level. The task force also would weigh whether or not to take legal action against states that restrict access to chemical abortion drugs or that try to prevent their citizens from traveling to states that allow abortion on demand. The task force will be led by Associate Attorney General Vanita Gupta, who called the Supreme Court's June 24th decision on Roe v. Wade a devastating blow to reproductive freedom in the United States. The task force will continue the Justice Department's ongoing work with abortion businesses, including Planned Parenthood, the nation's top abortion seller, as it looks for ways to protect abortion. Also this week, the Department of Health and Human Services reminded doctors they must perform abortions if necessary to stabilize patients in a medical emergency. HHS Secretary Javier Javier Becerra told doctors and hospitals that under the existing Emergency Medical Treatment and Labor Act, Doctors in states where abortion is now illegal will be protected if they perform an abortion they deem medically necessary to save the mother's life or health. The federal government can take legal action against doctors and hospitals that fail to provide abortions in these circumstances. Yesterday, HHS warned pharmacists that they will run afoul of federal law if they refuse to fill prescriptions for abortion drugs, including the so-called morning-after pill. And finally, 81 Democrats in Congress sent a letter to Biden urging him to declare a public health emergency over abortion access. A national emergency declaration often is issued after hurricanes or floods, and both Biden and President Donald Trump made such declarations at different times during the coronavirus pandemic. How such a declaration would address abortion access remains unclear. Ectopic pregnancies occur about 100,000 times a year in the United States. The term refers to a fetus who is growing outside the womb, most often in one of the fallopian tubes. The pregnancy is not viable, and it could kill the mother if left undetected. Leslie, does treating a woman for ectopic pregnancy actually violate the, the commandment, thou shalt not kill? 
No, it doesn't. Um, even physicians in Catholic hospitals will treat an ectopic pregnancy, though they will be careful to do it in a way that doesn't constitute a direct abortion. Well, since Roe v. Wade was overturned and some states have banned abortion, the media has been full of terrifying predictions that women will die from ectopic pregnancies because doctors will be afraid to treat them. To clear this up for our viewers, we've invited Dr. Jennifer Muldoon of the American Association of Pro-Life Obstetricians and Gynecologists to join us this evening. Welcome, Dr. Muldoon. Thank you. Dr. Muldoon, can you tell us a little bit about your background and the organization you work with? Um, I have, I'm a board certified obstetrician gynecologist. I've been in practice for um, over 20 years and uh, including a prior military, um, prior military service. And um, I currently uh, live and practice in the Northern Virginia um, area outside of Washington, DC. And I've been a part of the American Association of Pro-Life Obstetricians and Gynecologists which is an, uh, a coalition and an organization of science-based, um, uh, mainly board-certified obstetricians, gynecologists, and other physicians. Um, I've been a member for um, 20, probably over 20 years. Well, I'm sure you've seen the scary headlines about ectopic pregnancy. Is there any truth to what abortion providers and the media are saying? Will women die because doctors will be afraid to treat them? Well, I can't, I mean, there are certainly fear and I, if, if, a, if a physician chooses not to treat because of fear, then certainly a woman could die, but there, it, there should not be fear because um, Roe v. Wade, the decision, the Dobbs decision and the um, returning of, of uh, abortion to the decision-making to the states should not in any way affect the treatment of ectopic pregnancy because it is not considered an abortion. Well, doctor, from a pro-life perspective, is it more of a concern that women are being prescribed abortion drugs without, without having first been examined by a doctor? Yes, it certainly is. Um, there, as of December of 2021, just uh, seven months ago, um, the ability to obtain the uh, mifepristone, which is the abortion pill, um, without even a doctor's uh, visit, an in-person doctor's visit or an ultrasound to determine the location of the pregnancy is very concerning because if a woman does have an ectopic pregnancy, which is um, estimated to, um, to represent about 2% of all pregnancies, so two of 100 women um, who, uh, who are pregnant, if, if someone who has a, an ectopic pregnancy in their tube were to take that pill, um, it could cause it to rupture and threaten that woman's life, it, it essentially re, um, resulting in a self-induced um, death from, from taking that pill. That's, that's terrifying. Um, are it there is. any symptoms of ectopic pregnancy that women should be aware of? There can be. Um, the um, certainly women who have had a, a sexually transmitted infection, a previous sexual transmitted infection, um, especially um, pelvic inflammatory disease, women who've had endometriosis, women who've had uh, 
pelvic surgery, um, any risk of scarring in their uterus are at increased risk. Um, the, the women who are at greatest risk are women who have had a previous ectopic pregnancy, but there are but that only constitutes um, actually a minority of women who have ectopic pregnancy. The vast majority of women have no, have no history and um, don't have any wouldn't wouldn't have any reason to believe that they do have an ectopic pregnancy. Um, it can present with um, with increased pain, um, the bleeding, if if it's present, would be um, potentially light spotting. Usually it's not, it's not heavy bleeding because the, the pregnancy is not in the uterus. So it's just the uterus responding. Um, but um, a woman could have no signs at all. Um, and, a, and a rupture could be painful, um, but it could also, if there's a lot of blood loss, could result in a woman um, becoming lightheaded and dizzy and passing out. And if she's by herself, um, could be in a situation where she doesn't even have access to uh, a phone, to using use of a phone or um, calling for help. Well, Dr. Muldoon, this has been um, really important information uh, that you're sharing with us. And uh, we really thank you so much for taking the time this evening to help us clear up a lot of this misinformation that's being spread. So thank you for joining us. Thank, thank you. you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. And now we turn to political news around the country. Democrats in the battleground state of Wisconsin were dealt a defeat by the state's conservative-controlled Supreme Court. The court ruled that absentee ballot boxes may only be placed in election offices. The decision sets the rules for the August 9th primary. The court's 4-3 ruling also has critical implications for the 2024 presidential race, in which Wisconsin will again be among a handful of battleground states. Massachusetts Republicans are turning to the U.S. Supreme Court after an effort to block a new voting law was shot down by the state's highest court. This effort was to block election officials from putting into effect the state's new mail-in and early voting law. Plaintiffs in the lawsuit are rejecting the request to block the implementation of the so-called Votes Act, hoping federal judicial officials would provide relief to prevent a constitutional travesty. On July 11th, a federal judge in Phoenix blocked a 2021 state personhood law that gives legal rights to unborn children. Abortion rights groups said the law puts providers at risk of prosecution for a variety of crimes. The U.S. District Judge Douglas Reyes said in his written ruling that it is anyone's guess what criminal laws abortion providers may be breaking if they perform abortions. Next month, Kansas will become the first state in the nation to vote on abortion following the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. Division among residents of the state is being created as Republicans work to combat what they consider to be misinformation about an amendment that would return abortion policy in the state to Kansans through elected representatives. Kansas State Representative Susan Humphreys, a Republican, said she is unabashedly pro-life and insisted 
that it is crucial that value them both be passed on August 2nd. Humphrey said that the majority of her constituents favor the amendment and blatant backlash and misinformation from the media is causing so many deceptive tactics going on that people are confused. I think some of the talking points nationwide are now really getting sent to Kansas. We know that the Biden White House, Senator Elizabeth Warren, and the radical left want to make Kansans pay for third trimester abortions. They want Kansans to be deceived by what is actually going on. They have an agenda. Early voting in Kansas began on July 13th and goes through August 1st. The primary is August 2nd. If you live in Kansas, please get out and vote. And that's the political news in a nutshell. Three Republicans in Congress this week introduced a bill to allow moms to begin collecting child support payments from the moment of conception. Oklahoma Senator Jim Lankford, North Dakota Senator Kevin Kramer, and Louisiana Representative Mike Johnson said the Unborn Child Support Act would allow a court, in consultation with moms, to award child support payments retroactively from the point of conception as determined by a doctor. It also provides flexibility for moms who don't want the involvement of the dad by not requiring them to receive child support. A California abortionist has proposed opening a floating abortion business in the Gulf of Mexico to allow women in states that ban or restrict abortion to legally terminate their pregnancies. Meg Autry, who's also a professor at the very pro-abortion University of California, San Francisco, said the ship would be in federal waters outside of state jurisdiction. Autry has formed a nonprofit called Prowess, or Protecting Reproductive Rights of Women Endangered by State Statutes, and she hopes to raise $20 million in donations to fund the venture. Her proposal calls to mind a floating abortion ship called Women on Waves that provides chemical abortions to women in countries that restrict the procedure. A Texas woman stopped by police for driving alone in a high-occupancy vehicle lane is using a unique defense to get out of paying the fine. She's driving for two. Brandy Patone was 34 weeks pregnant when she was pulled over two weeks ago in Dallas for driving in a lane that requires at least two passengers in every car. She pointed out that she is very pregnant and that her baby is her passenger. The officers were unconvinced and gave her a ticket anyway. She'll make her case in court on July 20th. New York Governor Kathy Hochul has given $10 million in taxpayer funds to 13 abortion providers in her state, including several Planned Parenthood affiliates, to help them meet the increased demand expected from out-of-state women heading to the Empire State for abortion. The governor has pledged to provide an additional $15 million to abortion sellers in New York. Courts in various states continue to block laws banning abortion. A state judge in Utah ruled this week that a near-total abortion ban will remain on hold while Planned Parenthood's challenge to the law continues. Abortions have resumed in Louisiana after a judge granted a temporary restraining order against a state law banning almost all abortion. A hearing has been set for July 18th. And a county judge in Minnesota struck down several state laws, including two-parent notification, a 24-hour waiting period, and a mandate that only physicians perform abortions. The judge said the state guarantees a right to abortion in its constitution and that the laws were thus unconstitutional. Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh was forced to leave Morton Steakhouse in D.C. this week after protesters from the group Shut Down D.C. showed up at the restaurant. The group later said it would pay $50 to anyone who spots any of the conservative justices and $200 if they remain at the site for 30 minutes, giving protesters time to show up and harass them. 
At its heart, Priests for Life is a traveling ministry, and we send our team members out all over the globe, really, to lead conferences and parish missions and, and do teachings and preaching. So the pandemic was hard for us because everyone was earthbound, but we are back on the road and on now. on June 23rd, Father Dennis Wild, who's the Associate Director of Priests for Life and an amazing pianist, was actually able to do a concert at the Pennsylvanians for Human Life Conference. And Father Dennis always amazes his audience with his talent. He does, they're always so blessed. Uh, Father Frank Pavone, our National Director, Brian Camper, our Director of Youth Outreach, and Rico Carme, our Resource, resource Associate, attended the National Right to Life uh, Convention in Atlanta where Father Frank celebrated Mass and conducted two workshops. Brian conducted a third workshop, and Rico manned our booth displaying all our materials, which you can find at ProLifeProducts.org. And it was an amazing booth. We had designed a new booth um, for, for our events, and uh, we were able to display it there. So uh, we were very grateful. And Father Frank was also in Washington, D.C. at the America First Policy Institute. And he was able to talk about the Dobbs case. Some of the additional panelists that presented with him were Brooke Rollins, who was the president and CEO of America's First Policy Institute, Pastor Paula White, who happens to be the spiritual guide to President Trump, and Alveda King was there also. Uh, Father Frank was the main speaker at Ralph Reed's The Road to Majority Convention in Nashville, and while he was there, he did a ton of media interviews, which is good for me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, Father Frank was also had the opportunity to be in Inverness, Florida, where he blessed a pregnancy and family life center and also blessed their mobile pregnancy unit. And last weekend, Father Frank traveled to California, where he was a speaker at a Divine Mercy Conference and Workshop at Holy Martyrs Church in Temecula, California. Uh, he was joined by Father Donald Calloway, who had nothing but rave reviews for Father Frank's work. Um, Cesar Ramirez from the parish videotaped the, Father Frank's whole speech, and he gave us his permission to play this portion for you. These decades, dealing morning, noon, and night, 365 days a year on abortion, I have told people across the country, the pro-life movement is winning. And I've told people across the country, we will celebrate in our lifetimes the end of Roe versus Wade, the advancement of protection of the unborn. We will see this victory. And the reason I've said this to people for, for the last 30 years is because of something they said in the civil rights movement. No lie can live forever. It's really as simple as that. And abortion is based in lies. It's, it's, it's covered with lies. The whole movement of abortion is a lie. Jesus said it in John chapter 8. The devil is a, murder, a murderer and a liar, right? Lies and murder go together all the time. And this is what we have seen now. No lie can live forever. The truth comes out. And eventually things set themselves right. God is faithful, that's the ultimate reason, and also our American system of government is so resilient. We have within our system of government the ability to correct even the most grievous of errors and to do so in an orderly, peaceful way. The, uh, I, as people ask me over these years, well, will Roe v. Wade ever be reversed? How come it's taking so long? I pointed out to them, you know, the Supreme Court reversed itself on segregation. Plessy versus Ferguson was a terribly disastrous decision, separate but equal. Segregation was okay. 
That was in 1896. It didn't get reversed until 58 years later, 58 years in 1954 with Brown versus Board of Education. And so I kept pointing out over these last 30 years, I said, you know, we're well within the historical time frame when decisions like this can be reversed. Be patient, keep doing what you're doing, keep working, keep educating, keep marching, rallying, praying, voting, lobbying, keep doing it. God will be faithful and our American system of government will work in the end. And I've been saying for all these years, the days of legal abortion in America are numbered. And now today we can be here together as people of faith and as patriots and as pro-life people, as gods, people of life. We can be here now today and we don't simply say we're going to see the victory. We can be here today now and say a great victory has been won and Roe v. Wade is gone. And that's a glimpse of Priests for Life on the Road. This is the fourth week of our new show, so we thought we would spend a few minutes letting you get to know us a bit better. Teresa, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved with Priests for Life. Well, Leslie, I started working here about four years ago, um, actually as a volunteer. I started as a volunteer here working in the kitchen, uh, helping with meals and things like that when they needed assistance. And uh, after a few months, Janet and Father Frank needed an assistant, so um, I stepped into the role. And uh, shortly after that, I became the executive manager here. And uh, now we're doing this show, uh, which is, is amazing. Uh, on a personal level, um, I've been married for 18 years uh, to my husband, John. And uh, I have two amazing sons. Uh, one is in California and uh, is married, have a beautiful daughter-in-law. And uh, as you know, just became a grandparent for the first time. And for all of you who are grandparents, you know it's uh, an amazing thing. Uh, they just... Uh, I don't know, you just fall in love with this little baby immediately, yeah, right? Yes, definitely. Yes, and uh, I have a second son who lives in Oklahoma City and uh, works for a medical company there, and he lives with his girlfriend. They just bought their first house. Uh, so th that's uh, pretty much a little bit about me, but what about you? Well, I came to Priest for Life in 2009 after 28 years as a newspaper reporter and editor. I'm the communications director here, and it's my job to make sure that our team gets a lot of media. <laughs> Which, you know, happily that happens because we're, we're very much in demand. Um, I started at Priest for Life when we were still in New York, and when they moved to Florida, I worked remotely from my home, first in New Jersey and then in San Antonio. But in October, I became a, a brand new Floridian, and I'm so happy to be here. Uh, personally, I have three great kids. My oldest son, Connor, lives in upstate New York with his wife, Kaylin, and my first grandson, first grandchild, Sage, who's 14 months. My son Liam lives in Queens and he works as an electrician. My daughter Hope lives, just graduated from the University of Pittsburgh and she just moved to Philadelphia where she's starting a teaching career. Very so, exciting. Very blessed. Yes, yes, so, very much so. And you can be sure, Leslie and I are constantly sharing pictures of our grand, uh, grandsons, right? <laughs> yes, we are, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us on Pro-Life Primetime News. If you have questions for Leslie and I, please be sure to uh, send them to mail at priestforlife.org. And uh, we're produced here at Priest for Life headquarters in Titusville, Florida. We hope you will join us every Friday at our new time, 9 p.m. Eastern time. 
you have an idea for a story or would like to expose something in the abortion industry, please email us at media at priestsforlife.org. We hope that you will support this show and all of our broadcasts, including Just Ask Janet, Oceans of Mercy, Pro-Life is the New Punk Rock, and Primetime Live with Father Frank Pavone by making a donation to ProLifeGift.org. These donations help fund all of our work here at Priests for Life. I'm Teresa Watson, Executive Manager. And I'm Leslie Palma, Communications Director. Remember, life is the only choice. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.